Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Rural Hardship Behind the Mine Murders That Shocked China Written by Wang He Yan Published in Caixin Global on October 15, 2022 Read for you by Kaiser Guo. Editor's Note Between 2005 and 2015, a dozen villagers from the northwestern province of Gansu disappeared. Sixteen years after the first person went missing, a court in neighboring Shanxi province found most of them had been lured away and brutally murdered by an organized gang. The murderers pretended to be relatives of those victims and claimed death compensation from the employers. The criminal group, led by now 55-year-old farmer Chen Lijun, disguised the murders as mining accidents and used fake identities to claim more than 3 million yuan, $420,000, in compensation from mine owners. The case sparked national outrage. People drew parallels with the critically acclaimed 2003 movie Blind Shaft, which depicted a similar crime. Caixin reporter Wang Heyan spent months investigating the case and published an in-depth story recently, which was read for you on China Stories. Chen's killing spree started with Zhang Yuping, a 35-year-old bachelor. Zhang was lured to a coal mine on the promise of a job in October 2005 and killed with a pickaxe days later. A total of 12 victims were killed over the following 10 years. After visiting families of both the victims and murderers, Caixin's Wang witnessed a countryside plagued by not just poverty, but also by disabilities and gender imbalance. Chen and his accomplices targeted villagers from the poorest families or those with intellectual disabilities whose appearances were often ignored. They took advantage of the lax management of private coal mines and mine owners' incentives to cover up accidents. When Wang launched her investigation, the criminal case was approaching completion. A court in Shanxi province found 18 defendants guilty in December 2021. Chen and the four other main culprits were sentenced to death, two received life imprisonment, and others were imprisoned for stretches from four to eleven years. Two more murder suspects had already been killed by Chen's gang in disputes over money. But the villages remain the same. Here is Wang's account of how she covered this case and what she saw in those villages. In February 2021, a former colleague provided me with information about criminal cases that occurred in Gansu coal mines. The suspects had been identified as Chen Lijun and Liu Yongxiang. She suggested that I should contact the police in Shenmu, a county-level city in Shanxi. They should be very happy to be interviewed, said she. After all, 
Solving such a major case, when neither the suspect nor victims are locals, is quite a coup for the local police. But I did not think that logic held up. I've been in this industry long enough to know that these local cops would never agree to a media interview. It is not rejections that I fear. What scares me most is potential meddling that might kill the story. For me, the best time to interview people connected to a criminal case is when the court holds its hearings. All these years, I've never even expected I might be allowed into a courtroom to cover legal news. My goals are mostly met as long as I get to see the suspect's lawyers and family members and the victim's relatives at the court's entrance. In May this year, I was informed that the case's hearings had been held and convictions were already announced. I asked several friends to check with the defense lawyers in private, and it did not take them long to reply. All the lawyers involved in this case had been barred from taking media interviews. This was made very clear by the judicial department of the higher-level city which administers Shenmu. The Yulin authorities said that word had leaked that there were journalists from Beijing working on the story. The Beijing journalists wanted to have a publicity stunt, said the judiciary officials. I laughed when I heard the word publicity stunt. Hearing such a condescending phrase made me aware of the hierarchical differences. To those officials, coverage in unofficial media outlets is nothing but a poor taste stunt. I thought I had been careful enough for fear of government interference, but the cat was out of the bag now. My future interviews would only be harder. Can you help us? Zhang Jiamo village clings to a mountainside near a river and a national highway in the northern part of Shenyu Township, Huating City, Gansu Province. At the exit of the westbound culvert sits Luomen Community. The home labeled number 15 has been deserted for years. Weeds crowd the front gate, and piles of bricks lie scattered all around. The gate and its lock are thoroughly rusted. Inside, the grass is waist-high. This was where Zhang Yuping lived with his parents. Born on December 19, 1969, Zhang Yuping was a month away from his 36th birthday when he was murdered in 2005. His eldest brother, Zhang Yugui, also lived in Luomen community, not far from their parents. Zhang Yugui, 62, thin and weather-beaten, looks much older than his true age. He said that Shenyu Township is one of the poorer places in Huating. We live in the mountains. Each villager has about three mu, 0.49 acres, to four mu of land scattered on the mountains. We have to climb over a mile just to get to the farmland. Plants grow where there is adequate rainfall. If there's a drought, we harvest nothing. Young people have migrated to big cities in search of work, while seniors stay in the village, growing corn, potatoes, and vegetables, and relying on the weather, said Zhang. When Chen Lijun and Du Yufeng were on trial in October 2021, Zhang Yuping's younger brother went to Shenmu City to observe the trial. He, his older brother Zhang Yugui, and other relatives filed a claim for civil compensation in court. The families of some other victims filed similar claims. 
However, the only two claims approved in the first instance judgment made by the Yulin Intermediate People's Court were compensation for funeral expenses and other burial costs for the family members of two victims, Wang Yuxia and Wang Jinhu. The claims filed by the family members of the three other victims were rejected. The reason given was that there were no funeral expenses incurred as the victims' remains were discarded after being murdered by Chen Lijun and others. Many of the victims came from impoverished families. Their deaths struck a double blow to their families, spiritually and materially. I couldn't have imagined that they had not been offered any assistance. The parents of Zhang Chenglin, one of the victims, scraped by on a pension of 250 yuan, $35, per month. After my interview ended and I had left their home, they watched me leave from the ridge of a field, gazing after me and bidding farewell. I remember that several years ago, Tsai Ning, chief procurator of Henan province, proposed the establishment of a national compensation system for crime victims during a national legislative session. Tsai said that a large number of crime victims and their close relatives suffered from both economic difficulties and mental pain due to a lack of economic compensation from criminals. So the government should establish a compensation system and offer appropriate economic assistance in the name of the state. At this year's two sessions, the annual meeting of China's top legislative and political advisory bodies, I met Tsai. He told me his proposal had been adopted. However, many close relatives of victims who live in extreme poverty still do not get any assistance. Zhang Yugui said, It's been a long time since our relatives were murdered. All these years, we have to pay for our transportation to the city court, as well as money for food and accommodation during the trips, but we could not get any compensation. He asked me, Can you help us? Relatives of other victims also asked me to help them get some compensation or assistance. At such times, a sense of powerlessness as a journalist rises in my mind. I can do nothing but say to them, I'll report it. Is he alive or dead? Chu Yumei, the mother of victim Wang Chunlin, lives in Zhang Jiamo village. Nearly 80, Chu raised three sons and one daughter, of whom Wang was the youngest. Wang, who had intellectual disabilities and never married, lived with his parents. Since Wang disappeared in June 2010 and her husband died a few years ago, Chu has lived alone. Speaking of her solitary life, Chu gave a sad look, saying, I seldom go outside and know nothing about the outside. Her daughter visits her every few days, bringing her exceptional comfort. When I was leaving, she asked about the murderer. Is Chen Lijun alive or dead? I said, alive. With her lips curled and tears in her eyes, she asked, How can that villain not be sentenced to death? Two shocks. During my interviews for the case, two things shocked me. The first was the unexpectedly high number of rural single men. In recent years, as most of the topics I reported on were about China's cities, I rarely went to rural areas, but I often heard 
that a lot of men were single because marriage was unaffordable. I recall that when I first learned of the judgments in this case, I was really stunned that most of the victims were single. After interviewing in rural areas for more than 20 days, I realized it is a common phenomenon. The 10 victims in this case, all except 22-year-old Wang Jinhu, were in their 30s or 40s and had no families of their own. Seven were single, two were divorced or separated, and one was widowed. Many of their brothers were also lifelong bachelors just because they had no money to marry. The home of victim Tan Sitong is in a small village about 30 kilometers away from the nearest urban area and near a provincial expressway. Despite not being a remote mountainous area, out of the five brothers in Tan's family, only two have married. The youngest, Tan Wuyuan, was thin, deeply suntanned, and barefooted when I saw him, and wore clothes that had seen better days. It was hard to believe that he was only 51. He grumbled he had not married, had no children, and lived with his nephew's family. At that time, he suffered from uremia and was on dialysis three times a week. My second shock was the unexpectedly high number of people with intellectual disabilities. Six of the twelve victims and several of their relatives had varying degrees of such disabilities, and I encountered more people with intellectual disabilities in several villages. Nobody seemed to care about them except their closest relatives. Once their parents pass away, they are left to fend for themselves. In the past 10 years, more than 10 people within dozens of kilometers of Shenyu Township and Shangguan Town were killed, but neither the government nor the ordinary people were surprised about that. In the villages I visited, slogans like rural revitalization and constructing a new rural place were painted everywhere. The countryside did seem to have a new look, new whitewashed brick houses, asphalt roads, beautiful flower beds on roadsides, and new tiled floors in some villagers' houses. Notwithstanding these visible changes, rural, marginalized groups with disabilities are still neglected. I hope that the relevant authorities can set aside part of the funds for new rural construction and use them to assist people with disabilities in rural areas across the country. People at the bottom of society should not be ignored, and we cannot let them fall victim to unscrupulous people seeking ill-gotten gains.